Well, if you want to, if you want to find your seat, I want to briefly just share with you um, what it is we do in in Guatemala before I invite the team up. Um, 2009 was my first trip to the Ashilk Triangle of Guatemala. Um, the church that I was at in Michigan prior to that um, started going there uh, a few years prior to that. And we ran into and met a man named Andreas. Andreas was a coffee farmer that lived in the village of Santa Avelina. Um, and he worked with, closely with a guy named Ron um, out of, uh, out of uh, Lansing, Michigan. And we connected with him there. And he lived in a remote part of Guatemala where the Civil War had done its damage. And those that aren't familiar with it, um, Guatemala was in a civil war from the uh, 1966, I think it started, all the way until some of it continued to, to the 90s. Um, but several generations affected by um, an all-out genocide when it came to the government versus the rebel forces kind of um, and, and, and things throughout the years. And so um, we get a chance to go into this area to where um, lives have been destroyed, um, uh, where there's widows and orphans that are left um, behind from uh, several generations, and we get to go and build homes for, for these families. Um, we also provide uh, a feeding program in one of the villages, as well as a school in the village of Chasis. Uh, it's a village that we get to visit every time we go. But so this church has been taking a trip the last seven years to this area to work with Andreas to help restore the image of God um, to these people. And it's, it's been a, an amazing uh, journey with them, with Andreas, and with different members of the team. We've had uh, members of this team that have been there multiple times. And some of you out there have been there before um, in, in the past. Um, it's a great opportunity to go and to extend the love that God has said for us to, um, to, to, to speak, to, to be the hands and feet of him. Um, the, uh, the brokenness there is, is tremendous. There. Uh, you can't walk through there and not see the, the devastation, the, the, just the horror that people have lived and been through and, and no uh, signs of God. They've, uh, they, and they've um, looked and asked in the conversations we've had with many of the widows and many of the, the villagers is that um, until they've seen us, until we've come and, and been able to do these and provide these houses, they've kind of given up hope. They had no hope. They, um, they just, they were on their own. Um, and you've, we've heard story after story of these Women saying, now I believe, now I know that God uh, cares for me because you guys have come. You have, you've, you've, you've answered my prayers. You've, you've given me shelter. You've given me a home. And it just, it's been a great time. And I don't want to uh, wreck any of the stories that I, we, we're going to share today. So I want to go ahead and, and if you could help me invite and, uh, um, the, the team on stage with me. So again, how this is going to work is um, I have some questions that uh, I will ask the team. And as that's happening, you are welcome to text questions into um, the number that's going to be on the screen. It's also the number in your bulletin. You can text your question in there and we'll try to um, randomly pull those questions in there. Also, if you want to go on the Facebook event page um, for this Sunday, you can uh, um, look at there and you can type and post questions in there as well. So I'm just going to pass on a mic here and a mic back here. So this is the team that left, uh, what, four, almost four weeks ago? Was it more than that? Uh, um, it was the beginning of, uh, end of February, beginning of March, where this team of 15 um, joined a team of roughly 20 from uh, Michigan. 
um, met uh, in Guatemala City Airport, and from there took a journey into uh, um, the Shield Triangle. So I'm going to first ask Justin, who, who uh, led the trip, um, to kind of share just briefly um, what this trip uh, was about, what we specifically did on this trip, and then I'm going to start asking questions to the team members. Yeah, we had a great trip this year. There were 32 of us total, 15 from our church here, you see. And um, we, we just we had a blast working with the Michigan team. Um, there wasn't competition between us. It was We were there for the same purpose, and everybody got to know each other better. We were able to build 24 homes for widows. Um, along with that, each widow, we purchased stoves, and each widow got a stove in each of their house. And the stove is a big deal because the stove, um, they just would burn fires in their home to keep warm and the smoke and to cook their food. And the smoke would give them all kinds of respiratory problems and uh, watery eyes and just just really bad for them. Um, the stoves we were able to purchase were, are, they like triple burn the smoke where there's very little smoke and it's a lot more uh, efficient for their health, a lot more effective. You yeah, 70% more effective for them uh, than, you know, just having a fire. And they use a lot less fuel, so they had to burn a, uh, just a couple of sticks. You could boil water in a few minutes and provide a heat for them. So the stoves were a really big deal, and uh, our group was able to get a, a great deal uh, on those stoves for them. So each widow got a stove in their house, um, and we were able to present that with them. Uh, to each widow with and also uh, members of the team and stuff were able to um, we were able to purchase enough uh, 24 pigs uh, to go into each home and a pig for them meant um, you know food but it also meant profit that they would they would profit from the animal and then be able to turn around and and uh, buy more animals or uh, you know uh, continue to grow financially from that. So uh, the the homes, the stoves, the pigs were all, you know, they, they were very blessed by um, the, and the relationships we, we built with them um, just made a huge impact um, as far as the statistics go. And also our team um, just getting to know each other so much more, uh, becoming great friends, going through an experience where you travel together and you have to sit next to me, smelly on the, you know, anyway, uh, you had to sit next to each other and, and learn and live with each other. Uh, we all stayed in one room together. So, uh, we, the men tormented the women anyway, um, all night long, you'd hear sound anyway. <laughs> all right. Uh, one of the things that's different. Yeah. Go ahead and get the mic to someone else. Um, What's different about this trip compared to other trips? Every year we've gone and we whether we build homes or things like that. But Justin uh, mentioned that for this this trip and specifically we went we took stoves down with the houses this year. So not only did we were able to build the twenty four homes, but we installed uh, stoves into each house. And again, that was life change for a lot of them. They're not ex- used to having that. It's like he said they lived in this small twelve by twelve house, smoke billowing in day and night for heat and food. This time we were able to give them stoves, and that was a a huge thing we started doing. The first village we ever went to in 2009 was San Miguel, and that village has received stoves for all the homes that we've built there in the past. Uh, Travis Little, some of you are familiar with Travis. He lives out um, towards Canton, but he used to be a part of the Grove, and uh, he's continuing to take trips with teams from his church down there, and that's one thing that they've been working on is stoves as well. Um, a couple people here on the team have been on multiple trips. I'm just going to ask them to real quick kind of compare um, their experience uh, on the two trips and maybe and briefly in Specifically, Tyler and Mason, I'm going to ask them, uh, just give me a quick, you know, what, what, how would you compare the trips that you've been on? Um, <clears throat> well, this is my third year in a row going. Um, the first two years, 
the two villages we worked in were uh, right next to each other. We drove a bus right up to them, jumped out, put our stuff down, got to work. Uh, this year was a little bit different um, in the way that we parked the bus at the bottom of a mountain and we hiked into the village. And then once we reached where we were staying, we then hiked up and up. And then we could see where we were staying way, way, way down. Um, and, I mean, really, it was just one of those, uh, you had to be in, you got in better shape on this trip, whether you wanted to or not. In comparison to the past years, you know, uh, it was a little bit easier on the hiking side of things. But, uh, yeah. It was a little bit more scenic, you could say. <laughs> um, the big difference I've seen between the first year I went, which is two years ago, and then this past year being the second year, or this time. Um, the first year, you, you're like a kid in a candy shop for the first time, and you're looking at everything, and you're excited about everything, and it's all new. But this year, I've gone, and I've seen people who's their first time. And, you know, I was there for a week, so I'm not an expert on everything there, but you kind of you've became a little bit more numb to seeing some of the things for the first time. So you get to see the expression on the people's faces when they light up, and you're like, yeah, I remember that feeling. And then you see it, and you're like, oh, it's still doing it to me. It's great. But uh, you get to, to slow down and think about things more. You get to notice things that you remember and all the thoughts you've had since the last time you went. Um, you, you, become to, you can appreciate it more, and you can get more from it. It's like watching a movie the second time through, you know. You see all the little things you missed the first time. But, uh, I'm going to continue to go every chance I get, and I'm still not going to get it all in. So there's always something to get with each trip. Can I, can I add one more? Yeah, go ahead. Um, it's going to be like the movie Bridesmaids. <laughs> no, um, I get, something that just came to mind uh, from this trip, because I have been able to go the last three years, um, I've <clears throat> been able to kind of build a relationship with Andres, the guy that, that Jeff was talking about. And uh, he actually, before I left, he, he came to me, uh, and this was a huge deal to me. But uh, he, he came to me and he gave me a hug, and we don't speak the same language, but he, he told me that I was his friend. And he, and he gave me a gift, and, and uh, that was just kind of, I was very overwhelmed uh, by that experience. But um, just building that relationship going year after year is, is, I almost feel like if I didn't go, I would be shortchanging him uh, for, yeah, our relationship. Yeah. Um, something about Andreas that's very interesting, too, is that, you know, he lives in this home and invites all of us to come. And so there's, there was 33 of us and he lives in a, a home that anyone here would see and not consider a home. And he, and it, what, what was really overwhelming and, um, it just takes your breath away is a, a sign of honor in this culture is they take pine needles and dry them out and they lay them, um, cover the floor, the tables, Every surface just is a, a sign of honor and welcome. Like, you're part of my home. You you belong here. So we get off this bus, and we're lugging all of our stuff in. I mean, I'm sure these people thought, what in the world do they have in these bags? I mean, their whole life could probably fit in half of one of our bags that we carried in. And we walk in, and, and the, the floor is covered in pine needles and every table has fresh flowers and dried out pine needles. Every surface that we were going to sleep on, they put pine needles as a sign to say, this home is yours. Like, you're welcome here. And that, we don't do that here. 
you know, we kind of like, we're shy, we're shy to even have people in our homes, let alone 33 people. I mean, y'all can imagine inviting 33 people in your house today and say, you can stay here and I'll feed you. And it, it's just, it takes your breath away. And to add to that, they, it was not just thrown out. They were delicately scattered like you do like rose petals. It, it was very tastefully placed, they, every, every one. And additionally, the, when you get there, you, know, you can imagine 30 people coming into your house. You're like, okay, where are we going to put everybody? They're sleeping in the foyer. They're sleeping up on the, on the roof. The roofs are kind of a, they're flat with a little parapet wall around the outside. Um, what was really made me feel strange was Andres told us, you guys are sleeping in my room too. So one guy he, from the Michigan team, he told him to use his bed. And myself and Justin and a few others, we slept on the floor of his bedroom, crammed together because it's a small room. But that was his room. It's the nicest room in the house. He slept in the cook shed, which is on the second story, this little wooden, really, I mean, you might put your firewood in it. They have a cooking pot in there, and he slept in that little shed with all the cooking greases and all that. He gave us his room, and that, and that meant a lot to me. So, you Mason, really you touched briefly on, like, the, the cultural, um, I guess you'd say, walls of communication. A uh, question I have for a couple, uh, for Heidi and Terry, I, I asked you guys this, to kind of talk about that cross-cultural uh, experience. How was that? And maybe specifically, how did the language breakdown work? How did you, were you able to communicate and have that, even though you didn't speak the same language? So um, I was fortunate enough to have gone through having Spanish in school, but that has been several years ago. Um, but the people were very patient and very welcoming, and there was a lot of smiling and nodding. But you you work through it together, and it wasn't, you know, if somebody from another country was to come here and to talk to us, we rush. Um, but they're, they're just very welcoming, very giving, and you get through it. And there's a lot of times where you wouldn't have to, just by mannerisms, you would know the gist of what they were saying. So... It all just kind of, it was way smoother than I thought it would be, which was, which was wonderful. Um, I think that um, it, it was a great opportunity to, to get out of your, your mind so much. Um, we always worry about what we say to each other and how we say it and um, saying the right words and all those things, but that didn't matter because whatever I said, they couldn't understand anyway. Um, and so I think it gave us all an opportunity to... Um, you could just see God working through each of our gifts um, through your service. And so instead of it, it being, like I said, something where you're trying to do something specifically, you act. And, and it gave us an opportunity, I think, to, to use our gifts and our talents um, just through that service and, and whatever those were um, without trying to make it something different or something special. Um, but the communication wasn't an issue, I think. You I mean, people would just talk. Um, didn't matter if you didn't understand, you kind of would get it. And, and that was actually kind of the beautiful thing. Made things really simple. Huh. Um, I have the uh, privilege of having Meg in my um, small group on Sunday nights. And uh, she shared briefly when she came back um, from the trip. Uh, and, you know, you could tell that, you know, God had really moved for her there. Meg, what was maybe one of the biggest impacts you had or had on you this trip? Um, this was my first time going to Guatemala. Uh, I love getting to share about Guatemala. It's kind of a new hobby. It's cool. Um, 
the biggest impact, there's quite a few. Um, specifically while we were in Guatemala, I remember everything's going so fast. Um, and I guess a few days in, we had just finished building a house, and we were all pretty tired. It was beautiful weather, hot. Um, and we take the chainsaw and we cut through the door. I remember Mason telling a similar story in his past years about this part. But we cut through the door, and this woman who's been patiently waiting and watching us build her home, um, she's standing there, and we cut the door. We open it, and she just, like, is like, wow, this is, like, my home. Like, and she walked in, and she invited us in, and uh, we all got to pray with her. Oh, sorry. Um, and she kind of dropped down to her knees, and we all got to pray out loud, and it was just like her, like Jeff was saying, like, for the first time, she had hope. Um, and that was the first moment, like, everything kind of slowed down. And it was like, I just got the opportunity to work with this awesome team and build a house for somebody. Like, a house. A real, the real thing. Um, and so that was huge. But as big of an impact as that felt it was, like, the impact on me was far greater it felt like, I mean, I'm still reminded with stuff like this and Jody's posts and getting to share at the Methodist Church, uh, just seeing these people. I mean, it's a huge impact. I'm reminded every day to slow down and be thankful for the things I have. Um, this house, my house, my family, everything. Um, it was a huge impact on my life, and I'm so thankful to have that to just inspire me every day. That kind of ties in with one of the questions that just just came in about this idea of coming home or even heading there and uh, kind of having that moment of like, what am I complaining about? When you see that uh, what they experience um, on a daily basis, uh, Carmela, I want to ask you about you know I think this would tie into that the hardest part of the trip, what you felt may have been the hardest part from you, but maybe any of you, if you've ever uh, since be coming back or just you know when you were there, you realize, wow, I have some first world problems that I like to complain about, but uh, my eyes have been opened up to what another life uh, may look like. Um, this was my first trip, um, actually out of the country on a mission trip. So um, that was one of the things I had written down to talk about was the adjustment. I, when I came back, um, I, I didn't give myself any time for work. I, we came back on Sunday. I went straight back to work on Monday and I really needed that, almost needed a few days to adjust to being back in the United States and being in such a rat race. And um, I walked into my own home, which is a double wide. So, I mean, it's nothing super fancy by our standards, but it's like a mansion compared to what they have. And, I mean, they're thankful for a dirt floor. And we complain about silly things. So I really feel like... We are um, kind of rotten as a nation, and I don't even know if we realize it. Um, one of the other struggles I had on the trip, this was personally, was um, submission and being at the mercy of other people. That was really hard for me. It was hard for me to, um, I know that God's in control, but letting other people, thanks, um, but letting other people kind of being charge of my well-being and my life was, was really hard. Because I know these people, but you don't know them until you get to another country and you don't know anything about anything. <laughs> so that was a big adjustment for, um, for me. And anybody who knows me probably already knows that about me. Um, and then um, the altitude, the struggle is real, people. 
Oh my gosh, it was so different. And like Mason said, it was really hard. Um, it was a lot more hiking than what they had talked about in previous years. So um, it was really intense. And yes, you were, I mean, we were just all so exhausted, but we kept going and we kept going um, because getting to see those people, like Megan said, when when you open up their window and they're standing there and they're smiling or they we went to one lady's house and she had plotted out and put little tiny stakes where she wanted her house. And I'm like, she's been waiting for this moment for as long as she found out she's getting ready to have somebody who's going to build her a house and she knows where she wants it. And it was just a, a wonderful experience. And anything that I struggled with is nothing compared to what these people struggle with. So I, um, I have learned to appreciate what I have and, um, try not to take for granted anything that we have as a nation and try to be more giving. It has changed my heart for sure. For me, uh, uh, I've been on multiple trips as well. And it's kind of fun for me each year, even when I'm not going, when the team assembles and we begin to meet and talk about what to expect and what the trip's going to be like. And um, to kind of see the, you know, the questions people start having. And as time gets closer and closer, kind of, you know, the fears or the, like, you know, those complaints start arriving and like, well, what am I going to sleep on? What am I, you know, all these kind of things start coming. And for me, I, I find it humorous because I kind of sit there and go, you have no idea what you're about to experience. And that, that's funny. And, and so um, kind of like with that, I hear Carmel, you learn a little bit about yourself. Um, Angela, you're one that comes to my mind about when it comes to preparing, maybe uh, a fear of going kind of a thing. What did you learn about yourself on this trip? Well, when I got this question yesterday, I started crying because I learned so much. Hannah Rose says I learned to depend on people, and I did, but I think more that maybe I had more in common with this group than I thought. Like, on the fourth or fifth day, me and Braden, we get back to the city, and we're both bawling because we can't get a hold of our kids. You know, there's no way, and we're outside crying, and... I'm thinking, I didn't think I had anything in common with this woman until today. <laughs> <I mean. laughs> and we're both just bawling. But besides that, I think I'm a whiny person. That's what I learned, really. I learned that we are so blessed. Even if we have our double wides, we are so blessed compared to their little, little place that they're thanking you for. And they're trying to do up and fancy up, and you're thinking, wow. I mean, we are so blessed. We're such a whiny, whiny nation. We really are. I mean, to have a bed to come back home to, we're bl- to have a bathroom. Oh, gracious. <laughs> I mean, when there was the bathroom, man. Oh, and the hiking. You might have whined about the hiking, but when you got up there and saw how thankful they were for your help, you know, you quit whining. Yeah, so I learned a whole lot about myself. <laughs> Um, expectation-wise, I asked Billy this question of, were your expectations met? Like, what did you have going into it, and, and how would you describe that? Billy was really excited about talking today, so uh, <laughs> I don't want you to know that for sure. So. Um, I really don't even remember what my expectations were going into this. I mean, things, I was affected by it more than I thought I would be, I guess. Um, just... You know, from talking to the people in past trips, they said these people would be really nice and happy to see us. And I really didn't expect them to be as nice and inviting as they were. I mean, they were really, they would do anything for us, pretty much. You know, they were just so happy for us to be there. And uh, that really affected us, I guess. 
one of the things from what I understand uh, is we were presented, um, you know, opportunities always to, like, provide. And this year, again, we, like I said, the stoves were a new thing. Um, also, the pigs were a new thing. We were able to purchase those. From what I understand, Billy was responsible for purchasing every one of the pigs that went to every home, every widow in that village. And so thank you for your uh, uh, heart and be able to give that way. Billy. Um, but one of the questions that came in was a, a price about that. They wanted to know what was the cost of stoves and pigs. And maybe you can answer that since you wrote the check. Um, the stoves, was it like 40 to 40 a piece? Yeah. 45 a piece is what they were, which they were actually a lot more than that, but they gave us a really good deal on them. Um, the pigs were really cheap. I think, you know, the exchange rate and everything, I think they ended up like $14, $15 a piece, something like that. And then like $50 to rent a truck and deliver them all because, um, and that's, that's one thing that really affected me is uh, I got our translator and we went, it was uh, the last night in Andres's house, and uh, I told him I had some money for some kind of livestock. You know, my dad had given me some money, and uh, I talked to Andres about it and, you know, what should we get, and he said little pigs were the way to go. So we had enough money for, like, 12 little pigs, and I told him, okay, I've got to go to my wife and get the money. I'll be back in a minute. And, and when I came back, I, was like, I counted out the money, and I said, okay, 24 pigs and a smile came across his face and he was like oh that's mucho piggies oink 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 i i had this when i heard the story i just had this vision of a billion of flute leading like these 24 pigs into the village all these pigs found them and so but but he was really excited about all the pigs you know and he said so it, it was good one of the uh one of the intentional things we do when we go there um is to not be a charity that provides and then leaves them and wait for 12 more months for us to come back and supply more things. We're trying to bring industry and, and allow them to be self-sufficient. So things like um, pigs and, and uh, um, different livestock helps them um, because they're able to then, you know, use, use and sell the manure for fertilizer to obviously breed um, and then to eat, uh, you know, and, and, and those kind of things. And so one of the other uh, items that we're looking at purchasing for this, I think, village in particular was a, was a molina um, or molina, however you want to pronounce it. But we've done this in the past, and we purchased this for the first village we went into. But this is what allows the women to um, break down the corn into tortillas so then they could sell into the market. So that's one of the things that we'll be trying to do is raise money to purchase this for that village while we're there. I want to, yeah, I wanted to also uh, say we... Um the Michigan team and us we were talking about uh, each widow needed a machete and a hoe to be able to work. And so that's something they were working on and uh, going to provide each home with, too, because uh, you can't get around there without a machete to hack your way through the jungle and the hoe to plant their crops and things. So that's something that's being uh, provided as well. And I also forgot to mention um, we visited a, a school that we helped support there for the children. We were able to provide six months' worth of uh, expenses for them while we were there. And, um, so they don't have to worry about that, you know, having the money to buy the supplies and things they were. Um, so that's something our team did while we were there as well. Uh, one of the, uh, um, questions came in was specifically to some of those mothers that went on the trip, you know, they wanted to hear kind of how, how did you do with, uh, leaving, 
um, your kids behind to be able to go here, you know, with the risk that's involved in it. But how was that experience for you? And then Gina, specifically, your connection. Um, I've been on a trip with you last year, and now this year, you know, um, from the pictures that I saw and stories that I heard, um, you you have this ability to connect with these with these kids. Um, uh, describe that for us, Gina, and then if any of the moms want to kind of chime in on that. Okay. <laughs> um, well, the last year that I went, um, none of the adults, like, ever played with the children. I never saw them playing with any of the kids. They were just, like, super excited that we were there. So the, this time that we just went, I, like, put magnets and chalk and balloons, a bubble machine, and I kind of went a little crazy, but it was so, it was so worth it, and I feel like, I hope that the kids, like, can remember that for the rest of their lives and, and give the kids hope. I think that a lot of people feel like when we go on mission trips, or, like, before I went, I felt like, you know, we're going to go bring God to these people, but um, when we get there, I mean, we realize, like, you know, God's already there, already there, we see it in the mountains and the people, and I see it, especially in the children. The end. (laughs) (laughs) Any of the other moms want to speak to the ability to leave your children behind and kind of... Yeah, I want to say, Gina is probably going to be a legacy in all the villages we go to. They'll be talking about, yes, and, and to their children for generations to come. There was this missionary that came, and she came with bubbles and magnets and... Um, as far as the kids, I've been so impressed by my children. You know, it's not easy. I've got four children, and uh, gosh, it's hard just to ask somebody, can you take my four children? Because you know what you're asking them, mm-hmm. you know? But I've been super impressed by my children because each year I've seen them know that they're sowing into that village too. They know that there's kids there that don't have as much as they have, and they can hold in their hearts that they're able to reach out and touch those children by being good kids while we're gone, by being supportive of us, you know. And when mom's about to just, you know, explode crying, they say, go do it, mom. You can do this. So I think they've been my support, you know, just as much as the amazing people that have helped me with them while we're gone. And, and I think that it, it teaches them so much when we go. It, it helps them be global and, and think beyond themselves. And it helps them feel like they can make a difference in a world that sometimes doesn't feel like we can. I think that one of the biggest uh, things that we can teach our children is there's a big world and you lead by example. So if I'm willing to, you know, get my kids all organized for kids to different people and, um, trust my husband to make sure they bathe and feed them. Um, I mean, what a joy to be able to, to show your kids as they're getting older, like, look what my mom did. I mean, it makes me kind of, uh, Yes, it was very hard. I was so afraid Roby was going to be walking when I came home because she was just one, or she is just one. And she and Jeff says she walked, but I don't believe him. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that you know what a joy to be able to share that and to be able to show that example because then as they grow, we hope that that same mission gets inside their hearts and they believe in it too and they believe in this world and what God can do in this world. And so it's, I think it's super valuable. One, uh, something I heard actually this, this week, I was at a conference, but something that has been, you know, spoken to me before and I've shared with you guys uh, in the past is, you know, 
we look at our lifestyles here, and sometimes we, we take credit for where we're at, what we have, what we've got. You know, we did this, and the, the truth is um, none of us had anything to do with the fact that we were born here and that we live here and that we've had the luxury of being here. Um, uh, and if you were to think and or to instill that into yourself and into your kids, that there's no reason why my son was born here than their son was born where he was born in Guatemala, and just the impact of that would have, there's, it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't by chance, God has put us where he's put us, and, um, but things could have been that, we, we could be there, there's nothing I've done personally that has made me, you know, worthy of this, and so I think it's one thing to teach to your kids and to yourself to say, um, you know, God is, is, is big, and, and, um, you know, what we've been given, we have to turn around and give back. And our kids see that when, when they know we're gone, they're able to, like Mary said, invest, that they're a part of this too, that they're helping um, prepare as we leave, and, but they're there supporting us when we're gone. And they know that um, they're sending their parents, their mom and dad, to, to help um, uh, bring God, to bring hope to, to people who don't have hope. And so I think that's been impactful for me and my family at least. Um, Julianne, uh, was your, was your first trip going? Um, and I know uh, we talked like leading into it, you know, there were some uh, maybe reservation things like you had going into the trip. You, uh, it was in my notes that you had a story uh, called Walking Behind. And so maybe if you'd like to share a little bit of your experience and maybe uh, what that means. Well, I had a really hard time physically with the trip. The, the message of having to hike in kind of was like, well, I hope I can do that. And the buses stopped. And they couldn't go any further. And we started hiking up, and I ended up in the back, and thankfully with people who were willing to go slowly with me and, and be my um, incentive to keep on going. And so I found out that if I was in the front of this little bit of people, that I couldn't do it. It was overwhelming. And if I walked, having one person go in front, I would just look down at their feet and step by step go up the mountain. It was 11,000 feet, so the, the air was different, and the hiking was up, up, up. <laughs> um, and so the analogy for me, for my life, was that God doesn't want me to see the big picture. He breaks it down into little steps for us, um, praying, caring for people, um, all the little things that God has put in the Bible that he wants us to do. And those are the little steps, and those were the steps I could do. So that's what I have to say. Ben, this was uh, your second trip back to back. Are you trying to jump in on that? I am. Right, I would just like to no, share no. something about Julianne, if I can. Sure. sure. We were um, we were getting ready to leave. Uh, we were staying at like this uh, was it like a retreat, uh, like a dormitory retreat Christian camp um, inside Guatemala City, and we were staying there. And our flights were leaving really early. Like we were getting up at four thirty to go to the airport to get on our flight, and you get locked in from the inside there. I mean, everything's, you're locked in everywhere, and there are people with guns everywhere. 
Yeah, you're pretty much in a compound. So we're locked in and we get, everybody gets downstairs and we're at the office and we're like, did anybody talk to anybody about letting us out of this place? And we were all just, yeah, we're going to miss our planes. I'm like, if I'm stuck in Guatemala, what am I going to do? I mean, like I went from A to Z in like four seconds. I mean, I was like, we're going to miss our flights and it's going to cost us thousands of dollars to get back. And Juliana goes, um, why don't we pray? <laughs> and Jody said, you know, I think that's a great idea. And so we all come together and we join hands and we pray about it. And then in just a few seconds, this little guy that works there comes running down. I'm so sorry. And he's letting us out. And so, um, I guess just kind of put in perspective how, um, we deal with things and what my reaction was immediately was, you know, A to Z, I'm going to be stuck in Guatemala for the rest of my life. And (laughs) which would not be a bad thing. And Julianne was like, why don't we pray about it? Hmm. Why don't we? So we did. So I just wanted to share that about her because that's um, uh, something that I keep remembering. All the guys are looking at the walls. We can scale that. (laughs) Barbara will be rough, but, you know. Um, Ben, uh, second year, back-to-back years you've gone. Um, I know being on the first trip with you, uh, some things that life changed that God really spoke to you while there. What do you see, you know, from this trip? What, what's something you're taking home from here? Or what, what was your experience like, uh, this time around? This year, the trip was definitely a lot harder, um, physically, mentally, everything else. So, um, I got to really enjoy it because this year my wife went with me and, uh, last year I just felt like. I'd left her at home. I mean, I know she went with me, but she wasn't physically there to enjoy and see everything and experience it. But this year, I got to, you know, go there with her. It's uh, been been able to go together. It seems like it's brought us a lot closer as a couple. You know, I mean, we know if we can ride that chicken bus for 10 hours one way, we can make it through anything. So, uh, and that's a slow road. Uh, <laughs> So uh, we, you know, we've applied that, you know, we, as a couple, we look back at Guatemala, you know, and what we experienced there, you know, we'll have a conversation about, you know, something that happened there, like uh, it'll help us through some of our hard times, financially struggling or anything else. We can just, you know, look back on that and it, it helps us move on forward. What, uh, and this can question can go to anyone, um, what has changed for you now coming back to it? Again, maybe someone that's been on a trip. Now it's been a year later, but for some of you, just, you know, four or five weeks from coming home. Um, what what has changed for you? What maybe daily or what vision-wise has, has changed for you when you look globally or look just at your life kind of there? One of the questions that came in is uh, the idea of um, the lives there that we, we see. They seem so fulfilled. They seem so happy there um, where we would like, transplant that here and go well we're miserable we have nothing um but they they for some reason they have it there and and the question came across was did any of you feel like staying there and not coming home because the fulfillment that you may have realized by just having little but maybe speak to that what has changed in your life what do you what do you see differently now brayden (laughs) you have a mic in your hands oh sorry Yeah. yeah i you know well, when I came back last year, I felt a lot of guilt, I think, for um, everything that I have and, and um, you know, feeling spoiled and how silly. Of it. And, there, and I, this year I still had that. 
there's that, um, you do grow and you do realize that, that um, it's silly to get upset about most of the things that we get upset about in life. But, um, but I learned not to have the guilt because it doesn't serve anything and it's a waste of energy. And it's more like just, for me, um, I think what's changed is just trying to have that intention every day. Uh, not just in, in living my life the way that God wants me to, but also just in, in always putting energy towards that place because my, my heart is there. I, I don't necessarily want to live there forever, but, um, but my heart is there for sure. And um, I just I don't want to lose that. And I, we figured out, you know, the whole stove thing this year, like just putting the, our energy, we all just collectively put our energy into it. And, and look what we did. I mean... And then the pigs, and um, so I just think it's important to keep that energy going and to keep talking about it and uh, not let it fade. Jody, uh, the name Juana um, was a woman you may have met on the trip. Do you have a story that you'd like to share? Um, yeah, so this year I was on the cut team, which is different than a build team. Um, I was with Mason and Terry and Billy. And so our job was to hike ahead of all the teams and cut the boards and stack them in the spot for the house. So um, we didn't really understand what we were signing up for when we said we would do this <laughs> because there was 24 sites. So the build teams maybe went to three or four sites. We went to 22 of the 24 sites. We hiked to everyone. And I was having a hard time. We all were. It was really a tough job um, that we had agreed to and couldn't get back out of. And so, um, we were in the second day, um, hiking and we had to hike to nine spots that, that day. And, um, they were without trying to exaggerate. I mean, they were all over and we were just tired. We, we were having a really hard time. Kind of our minds were starting to get a little loopy and, um, we had got to this last, the last site of the day to cut and we walk up or maybe we had the like two more after that. But anyway, we, we walk up and we're all kind of just, you know, oh man, we're just, just, we're, we can't, our legs can't move. My butt hurts so bad. And, um, from hiking, like the, you know, and, uh, so we got to this place and this woman, she just, um, she was sitting there and she, uh, walked over with Andreas and he was, um, um, connecting us, you know, to her. This was the, this home was for her. And she, Come, came over and just stood before us and lifted her dress. And we're just standing there like, I, we didn't know what to say. She had the deepest wounds that you can even imagine um, just cut through her legs. And she was saying, victim, victim. And we just kind of all stopped. I mean, I, I probably could have burst into tears and hugged that woman for two hours. I didn't, I just, we were, we were so overwhelmed by what we were doing. And then she just showed us these, her, her legs and, and, um, it put things in perspective. It made it all worth it. It was just this moment of, I cannot believe that we get to build this woman, the first house that she has ever lived in. And later we discovered her, her story. Um, she, the women present, we presented them the stoves and they, they wanted the chance to tell us they, they were just waiting to tell us their stories because no one has ever heard them. And they, that's what they would say. No one has ever listened to this. We want to tell you what's happened. And so she comes forward. Her name is Juana Perez. And she, 
um, with interpreter, you know, is telling us that when she was four years old, her sister was five, the, the soldier, the military came into their home, um, killed her father, and she fled with her mom and her sister, and they, they got separated. And they decided to meet back at the house in five days. And she's four. My daughter, Rio, is four. So I can't even imagine, like, this even, I can't comprehend this. So they meet back at the home in four days, and her sister and her mother are killed, and their house is burned down, and she fled at four years old to these mountains. And from running and self-medicating her own wounds, she had torn ligaments in both of her legs because she fell so much because she ran in such fear with just ed- with what the clothes she had. And so she found a grouping of people that took her in and decided to care for her. And she was raised by families that were not her own, never saw her family again, you know, killed before her. And that was the first home that she, she was now in her 40s and she was given her home for the first time. It just, you can't even, you can't even put into words like how amazing that moment was. And um, I know we just keep saying that it's just, uh, it, it, it really changes your perspective on who God is, where he's present, and what he's doing all over this world. And we are just a small portion of being able to share and influence and impact and make different a difference in the lives of these wid- widows and these orphans. To understand a little bit of what the Civil War looked like, um, I had mentioned in the beginning there was the, you know, the guerrillas or the rebel um, uh, side of it, and there was the government side of it. And they would literally just come into a village and demand allegiance. And if there was any kind of thought that you were supporting the other side or um, were thinking about it, um, they'd let you know by killing 20, 30, 40, 50 of the men and, and children in the village just to let you know how serious they were. And you can just read story after story of village after village of the government just coming in and just wiping out the whole adult male boys. You know, they would, you know, obviously would still attack the women and children, um, but they would just flee into the to the into the mountains. And so the reason why some of these villages are so far apart and away from like the bigger cities is because when they would come in, they would just run, run until they could, they had to stop um, and hide. And, and some of them would, you know, cluster together and, and form and years would go by and they would, you know, form villages and, and things like that. But, the, you know, if you could imagine just this, you know, you know, they, they didn't know who to trust. They didn't know because if they would, if they were to say to the government, when the government comes in, we're going to kill you unless you, you know, you're, we have your allegiance and they say, okay, and then the, the rebels would come in and say, we heard you said yes to the government, so now we're going to kill you. And so it was just this life of fear um, to know that these kids were just, they just ran. And, and, and they have the scars, obviously, to, to show their, to, from that. I have something to add to that, too, Jeff. Um, how many of you guys like guns, right? I mean, guns are cool. I think, I thought guns were really cool. Um, in fact, while we were there, I saw this kid running around with this giant shell from a gun, and he was ringing it, made a bell out of it. I was like, oh, that's cool. And one of the guards at night uh, told me where that shell came from, and I was like, oh, it's so not cool. That was one of the shells that they'd used to attack the village and stuff, and I was just like, oh, gosh. I didn't even think about that when I was looking at that. And so those people have been through a lot, and that shell reminded me that, you know, it's not it's not cool what the enemy is used um, to destroy families, destroy homes, and destroy whole villages and stuff. So just wanted to add that. A question that came in about, you know, Jeff. safety-wise. Jeff. and um, oh, you got something to go? Uh, to give you an idea of this, the genocide, I was doing a little more research on the area. I was researching the area more about how they actually exterminated. It wasn't 
they come into some areas and they would check for allegiance, but if they've already deemed that you are supposedly against them, they will come in and you can imagine a town with a, a main street and little little roads off of it and all the houses and all the little shops going on during the day, and they come in with a big big army truck uncovered up and there's a belt-fed weapon in the back and they just they go at it and you could you could see last year I couldn't see it as much this year but two years ago when I went you could still see those holes where they were trying to cover them up it's just massive holes in concrete blocks that are just horrific so when she was running and falling and getting those cuts some of the pictures that I saw from the reports that the metal roofing on the little shacks were just thrown everywhere from the explosions that was going on so when they were coming in they were coming in to destroy you, you, your livelihood, the remembrance of you, and all the fields around you. So they wanted you to be gone out of the history books and everything. So when these people fled to the mountains for five days, a lot of times they'd come back, and they would be, they'd be waiting and hiding for you to come back. They would get you again. And then they would go you know, from here to Asheville to the hospitals and wait on you there. They did not want you escaping. The uh, terminology that you, would, you can read about, um, as the government called it, forced disappearance. We want you to make them go disappear. And over the course of the Civil War, um, they say over 200,000 people were um, disappeared, you know, kind of a thing. And that's where they went. They wanted to make your family disappear. Um, and obviously that was by, by murder um, and genocide. Uh, question came in about safety, about, uh, you know, what was it like? Was there any risk there? Um, physically, uh, um, one of the questions was about, you know, the government being willing to let us in, things like that. I got a question from New Jersey that just came in that asked if you had to wear hard hats. Um, that was from Catherine Smith, who was on our first trip. Um, <laughs> she took a 4 by 4 to the head, and since then we've worn hard hats, right? Um, no. But uh, was there, when it comes to safety uh, and risk like that, can anyone speak to that, what the, the feeling that they had maybe, and um, just the safety precautions we made on the, uh, as we built? Well, I, um, I felt safe. I think the only – Guatemala City is just, just kind of a sketchy place. But um, – and then when we go through that, cocaine farms. Those are the two, mo- two times. But, but I feel safe because we have this contact in Guatemala City named Guillermo. And I think he's kind of – he's one of the original contacts. Like he has family in Michigan. And um, so – and he, he knows everybody. And, and he – decides where we're going to stay, and he's the one who originally got the bus driver that we use, and we all know this bus driver, and we trust him, and um, and then once we're, you know, we get out to the village, Andres is there, or, yeah, we go to Andres's village, and then out to the, the little villages, and I just, you know, I mean, it's like family, it does, you know, even though I'd never met Guillermo before, when I went last year, he, I knew he was going to take care of me, and they're, they're so invested in, um, in helping us to help these people, so even though technically it's kind of a sketchy situation, I really felt like I was in good hands the whole time. I'd like to say something. I feel opposite of Braden, and maybe because it was my first year, but especially the cocaine field. Let me tell you, when we got to the cocaine field. you feel field, the opposite she did? She was fearful. Were you excited no, about the I was fearful. No, no, no. no, she said she said she felt like it was family. I, I didn't. Okay. I felt like that's gonna kill us all. <laughs> I mean, when we get to the cocaine field and I really feel yeah, no. I was crying. I was in the back of the bus crying thinking they're gonna come on to this bus and they're gonna take us out. They think we're here to take their coke. Sorry, I, I mean and then, and then we get up to the village and we're in the church and you know about four years ago, mine and Ben's house burnt down. So in the middle of the night when the church filled with smoke 
And I woke up crying and woke me up thinking that it was going to burn us to the ground. I thought there's actors. I thought there was burning our church down that night. And I woke being up. The church is on fire. The church is on fire in the middle of the night. And then after a day or two, I realized they're not going to. They loved us. They loved us being there. I felt safe. But that first night, I did not. I thought that was going to kill us all. But by the end, you realize they really do appreciate everything that you're there to do. And they're there to protect you. They're going to. They were going to protect us. Yeah, we they, want people to They actually put armed, armed, guards, <laughs> uh, armed guards outside. They stayed awake all night. One night, Tyler and I were fortunate enough to stay uh, awake with them and uh, just protect the group. Right. Just and oh, We tried to tell them jokes that don't translate. but um, They did get the pull my finger joke. They loved that one. But, um, <laughs> we had such a good time. And, the guard, and I mean, for, for the three men to sit outside and just protect us and our things, and just make sure that we were safe. That's it's an amazing feeling to, to know that you're loved enough and, and can cared for while you're there. It, it was a really safe trip, and, and all of us came back uh, safe um, from the trip. And um, I think the whole the whole way through, we were we weren't in any danger at any point. So, can I say something? Um, the one thing that I noticed that because you know you do have concerns. You're in a place that you don't know. It was my first trip. And, but the people are so welcoming, and you felt protected. Um, you know, everything, it, it basically fell into place. And, yeah, it, but even the, the kids, they're amazing. They're wearing jelly shoes, and it would be as if a child was just sprinting up the middle of Deep Creek, sure of foot. They can run up the side of a mountain. But if you were ever walking somewhere and it was slick, they would hold your hand. They, they protected you. They were with us. They were watching us. But you also felt that God protected us. He gave us what we needed. We were in an area that was very physically demanding, and we all made it. We did fine. We had what we needed. Um, you know, whenever we were able to crash and just regroup from it, we did. But he kept us going. He gave us what we needed. Um, it was interesting because, you know, you think of all the things that they might have in Guatemala as far as insects or snakes or whatever um when we were leaving and we were walking down there were actually two dead snakes in the road not very long brightly colored and they told us that those were the most deadly snakes that they had that if you were bit by them you would probably die in about 20 minutes we never i never saw any anywhere else but as we were leaving the day there they were and they had killed them so you know, you it, it puts it into perspective that, yes, we were in a situation that could have gone in many different directions. And, yeah, you do have to be aware. But we it was as if we were in a bubble. Um, if we were to have slipped in the creek and gotten hurt, it's a long way to get medical treatment. But we were protected. We were able to go through this and have this wonderful experience. So... I just felt that, you know, he saved us, he kept us safe, and the people were watching us the whole time. Um, one uh, with question uh, with Braden, you had a story about the goodbye, and so I know there's, uh, I don't want to jump on your story, but if you want to go ahead and share from there. Did Mary, did you have something you wanted to, oh, you're holding the mic. All right. Yeah, go ahead, if you had. Uh, people often asked us and I, like, um, 
that know that we want to go into the mission field full time. They're like, why would you want to do that? You know, why would you want to give up all the things we have here and the comforts and the freedoms and all these things to be put into hard situations and live with less the rest of your life? And uh, it's something that I think everybody sitting up here can say something about. Uh, It's a community that you grow as an individual. Every single one of these people is a superstar in my mind. And this being my second uh, trip um, to Guatemala, but also I've been on other trips, I almost get really giddy like a child at the beginning of the trip, and I start watching people. And I think, what's her talent going to be? You know, what's his amazing, you know, life-changing element that he's going to bring to this situation? Because when you go through these moments and these challenges and these uh, journeys and traveling situations, um, you grow together. You have to grow together. I mean, half of us wore each other's clothes and shared toilet paper, you know? But you, you help each other, whether... <laughs> Before it was you. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, like Julianne, she thinks that, you know, that, that she felt uh, the challenge of strength. Man, this woman is one of the strongest people I know. And I will never forget that. And I will carry her with me the rest of my life. You know, and I could, if I had time, I would, I would tell you something absolutely mind-blowing amazing about each of these people. That God put in them and was called out of them on this trip. And we learn to work as a true team. You have to be a team there. You know, there's times where some of us don't feel well. There's times where some of us can't make it up the hill or are afraid. Or, you know, our hearts are utterly broken like we have never been broken before for somebody. And then we watch these people that have nothing and give everything to us. And we don't go, wow, that's really nice for you. You come from a different culture. I watch these people turn to each other then and give each other that beautiful, wonderful, unselfish love. And I think everybody took home a piece of that and took home that perspective to give. And so to me, it's priceless. Whatever you pay to get there, whatever discomforts you feel, it's just, it's a drop in the ocean compared to what we come home with. Um, so as far as the goodbyes, I think, uh, in our, in our life, you know, if a friend moves away, any goodbye that we have, it's, it, it feels temporary. I mean, there's people move back and there's Facebook and (laughs) phones and all these things. Um, and it's still really hard to say goodbye to the people you love, but there, uh, you're never going to see them again. And I love them all so much. We all do. You know, like, everyone that we met in the village, thanks, everyone. Um, They just, they are forever etched on our hearts. And, you know, and there's this language barrier. And it doesn't bother me the whole time until we're leaving. And I want them to know, you know, like, we aren't going to forget you. We're not going to forget your stories. You have given us more than we have given you. I mean, there's just so much to say that you can't really say. And uh, it's really, really hard to wave goodbye and know that you're not going to see those kids grow up. And it's hard. And you just have to carry them with you. But I think that's one of the things that impacts me the most. That's that's the hardest part of the trip for me is just that moment where the bus pulls away. And I think, I think I agree. Saying goodbye was um, really hard. And, and Katerina, who 
if you don't, it's my twin. Um, I met my twin when I was there. Um, she got on the bus and was just saying goodbye multiple times. Whoever was on our bus, she got on the bus and was saying goodbye and just kept waving and waving. And you knew she felt the same thing. So it was a, a really beautiful thing. But I think um, for me, the, the goodbye part was hard because I kind of had an opposite feeling about going there and seeing people and feeling like they were suffering. I mean, I knew that they were suffering because every day was a struggle, but their struggle was to live. Um, their struggle was to feed themselves and to do those daily things. And our struggle when we come home is to deal with all the other stuff that doesn't matter. Um, I mean, every day you, you battle over such, there's, there's a real fight, but we have to fight, you know, to pay for this and to take care of these things where, where, when we go there, our fight is to just care for each other. And that's their fight every day. So it was, it was so different, but, um, but you were saying it's like this imprint and, and the only image I could have, um, I don't know if you guys have, if you ever been in your car in the wintertime and your windows are really solid, you know, frozen, if you put your hand on the window and um, you can hold on there for like 10 seconds. I don't know why I was doing this, but it happened. Um, <laughs> and, and, and you take your hand off and even when your hand's off, you'll start to see your hand appear on the outside where it's melting the, the ice through the window and it just kind of starts to spread. And that's sort of how this has been. So coming home, um, I think about it all the time and it's like this continued feeling like it's not even a a contact like we're not there now but it still makes that difference in you so every time I experience different things every day at school um, I work um, as as a principal of a school and so I look at my kids differently Um, and not that I don't love them but but my my mission is kind of different you know it seems like um, sorry I didn't mean to go on Um, (laughs) but it's uh, Instead of, instead of, I think, I think you think your mission is to go and, and, and do these things and to help people because they're, they don't have and they need and, and all of those things are true, but our mission is, is to do because we want them to, to know God and we want them to know that they're loved. And that's different than doing because you want them to have, or because you want them, you know, it's, it's not about going and giving them a home. It's about going and giving them love so they know that God is there. And, and that makes a difference in what I do um, every day. Well, I want you guys to help me thank the team. We're going to switch gears here, but if you guys can help me thank them. Um, as uh, we close here, um, a couple things. Uh, several of you had given and been a part of... Um, getting the team to, to Guatemala, whether that was help purchasing um, uh, houses or helping with the stoves or just helping some individual get there. But we all played a part. That wasn't just a team of 15 that went. That was the entire um, grove that uh, went there and, and, and was a part of that. Um, one person in particular uh, I want to recognize today, her name is uh, uh, Alma, um, and she is, uh, uh, several of you guys know her, she's a very gifted uh, um, person in, in our group. And she uh, plays instrument and sings, and she put on a concert to raise money for this. And she raised uh, nearly $300 for the team one night, just unselfishly did that. And we wanted to honor her, and we had a gift the Guatemala team put together for her. So if Alma, if you can come up here and get that. <clears throat> for the last several weeks, Alma's been learning uh, to sing a song in a shield, and she's going to sing that. I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. Go. <laughs> this is for you from the team. Yeah, sure. So thank you, Alma, for that. 
um, so lastly, as we kind of close um, and giving you guys a chance to respond, um, we, we talk about this idea of restoring the image of God here in, in Bryson City and um, our responsibility to spread the gospel and to teach and be the hands and feet of Christ. But if you know the Great Commission um, and in what uh, Jesus says in Acts, he says, I, I don't want you just to sit here. Um, I want you to go out. I want you to go to the next place and the next place and go to the ends of the earth. And so we've had the privilege for several years of going down to uh, uh, Guatemala and investing in that and trying to be a part of restoring the image of God um, to uh, these villages, to these women, these children, these men that have um, uh, endured and, and suffered so much. We also have an opportunity this summer to go to Costa Rica and we're involved in a mission home that works with um, girls that have been rescued from sex trafficking, um, have been in and out of that industry. And what I find, and I don't know if ironic is the correct word to use, but um, as Americans, we have the luxury of, you know, living life and having what we have um, and looking at that and feeling sorry for them and going, well, you know what, um, you know, that's their, that's their crutch, that's their life, they have to carry that, you know. But uh, if we really knew the truth of um, the American involvement um, with aiding the government during the Civil War of Guatemala, we, we played a big part in that as Americans. We, our money, your money, went to pay for those bullets and pay for the propaganda that was emptied and dumped out of planes and helicopters to put fear in, in the people of Guatemala. We played a part in that, whether we want to take ownership or not. Um, the sex trafficking in Costa Rica, the number one consumer for that, Americans. We go to visit Costa Rica and we take advantage of that. As Americans, we play a part and destroying the image, distorting the image of God in the world. We've done a great job of that, whether we, we personally have done it or not. Our job now is to restore the image of God here and there. And you have a chance to, to do that. Um, I'm going to give you a, a moment here. Um, we have our connect cards and our, our giving moment and, and just here to, to be a part of that. To say, hey, I want to be uh, a part of restoring the image. And we do that through through you guys as a, as a group to keep this place going, to keep this message going out here locally to where then we take it globally. Um, I want you to watch this video and then after that we're going to um, collect our giving.
started to come in and she dropped to the ground but couldn't find her son and then found her son dead. saying that she was able to find her son but the army doesn't care who they kill women, children, men everybody so she wanted to say originally that um, nobody's really been able to hear her story out so she's thankful that we're here with her to what she has One of the things that we have the privilege of doing is being the hands and feet of Christ. And if we don't go, who will? And so whether that's you going physically or you helping people there, if you um, going out, going back home this week at your job, at your um, school, um, in your family, being able to restore the image of God, that's our commandment. That's our calling is to go and be that and to share the gospel. And um, we have the opportunity to do that. So when you're... Uh, if this is your place, this is your church, you're a part of your own mission, um, there's an expectment of, of investment to be a part of it, to say, hey, I'm invested in drawing people to God, uh, of carrying this message here um, locally um, in this region. And then for some of you, you know, that step of going on to a mission trip, and um, we're going to be back there next next winter, back in uh, um, in, in, in Guatemala. And this summer, uh, I think there's like 20, almost 20 of us that are going down to Costa Rica. And so we're all get to be a part of that, whether that's physically, financially, or just in prayer. Um, we're a part of a bigger, bigger
bigger mission than just, just, just life here. It, it's so much more. And so I thank those of you that have gone or uh, want to go and, and that continue to invest in this place as we draw people to God, as we um, be a part of the story that's restoring the image of God globally. Let me, let me pray, and then uh, um, we'll collect the baskets. If I can have four guys help me out with the, the baskets. God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for this story of hope that we've been invited into, not only to receive the hope ourselves, but be able to carry the message of hope to the, to the world. God, use us to spread this message, whether it's to our next door neighbor, to our, our family, to uh, the ends of the earth. God, use us. Uh, may we show that you are a God of love, that you are a God of restoration, that you've called us children of God and that you've not forgotten one of us. God, use our gifts, our, our time, our, our talent to, to spread this message of love and, and hope that you offer to the world. God, thank you so much for inviting us in on this and choosing us to spread this message. In your name I pray, amen. The baskets are going to pass, and once they pass, you're going to be um, dismissed and free to go. The team from Guatemala will stay up here to the front. Um, They'll be available for questions if you have any questions um, uh, for them. Um, They'll be around here, so please um, take that opportunity to talk to them. If you're interested in going to Guatemala, you can fill out a Connect card and let us know about that. Um, We'll have more information uh, um, throughout the summer when that trip will be. Guys, thank you so much for being a part of The Grove. We'll see you next week.